Hello and welcome to the Keeping the Peace podcast. I'm Alexis Powell Howard and in this second series we're exploring the different roles in policing and the impact on the people who do them. In this episode I'm joined by Kate Kieran and Lou Pye who are both family liaison officers or um, known as FLOs. Welcome to you both, nice to see you both. Thank you. Hi there, thank you. Hi. Um, so do you want to just do a little bit of an introduction about your kind of role and a bit about your history in the force, if that's okay? If I come to you first, Kate, is that okay? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm in the Metropolitan Police in London. Um, I've got 20 years service now. Um, so I'm a detective chief inspector at the moment, uh, rank wise. So I first became a flow when I joined a murder team um, about 15 years ago. Um, family liaison officers, one of the core roles within murder investigations, as, as well as other aspects of policing, but, but that was my start. Um, a really, really rewarding but challenging role within murder investigation. Um, and then as I uh, got promoted, I picked up a family, li family liaison coordinator role, um, which is uh, something I still do to this day. Okay, that's brilliant. Thank you. And how about for you, Lou? Yeah, I'm um, a retired officer, um, having worked with Sussex Police from 1988 to 2018, so been retired now three years, um, and I started my FLO journey right back when it started in 1998-99, um, and that was when I was um, involved with our training department, and I volunteered to look at the training as it was developed to see if I could um, help roll it out within Sussex. So I started um, training it and then became an FLA myself. And then over the years progressed to be an FLA, an F a family liaison advisor, and then a family liaison coordinator, um, sort of doing the job, but also um, managing a team at the same time. Um, and then, like I say, I retired in 2018, but I've actually continued the work in a different arena, in a different field. So I've had the real fortune of being able to take what I learned from my role within Sussex Police and my experiences um, in the wider field. And I'm now doing that in my day job within uh, NHS investigations. Wow, okay. So it's kind of stuck with you really. You've, got, you've gone, taken it out of the police and taken it somewhere else completely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, a, a really growing area within the, the arena that I'm in now, which I'm really glad to see. And there's lots of, lots of differences, many, many differences but there are many similarities as well. So to take that experience and use it elsewhere is, is uh, really interesting for me. Hmm. So in both of those descriptions you've just given, they sound really kind of, sound like they're very rewarding, but also very challenging as well. And let's start with the rewarding aspect first. What is it that you find rewarding about the role? If I come to you first, Lou, and then we'll come to you, Kate. I think I'll, uh, I'll often be heard to say that it's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my service, but actually one of the best things I've ever done in my service. Mm. And I think for me, um, it, it's hard for many reasons, which we'll come on to, I'm sure, but the rewarding element is something so tragic and something so difficult has happened. Um, we, ha we can't prevent that happening, so to speak, within our role, but what we can do is try and guide families and support families and um, help them through that process whilst also contributing to the quality of an investigation, the information, the evidence. Um, and actually it's really humbling to be allowed into someone's life at such a difficult time mm. and to be a large part of 
um, the time and questions and answers and conversations that you have with someone over that period of time is really quite humbling. And I think it's a real privilege to be able to go into families and, and conduct that role and, and make a difference to them, but also make a, a difference to the quality of the investigation as well. Mm. And I think that's the part that maybe a lot of people maybe don't understand that that almost a dual aspect to the role, I think, isn't there? Kate, how about for you? What do you find rewarding about doing the role? Yeah, I'm, well, I think Lou sums it up really, really well. Um, and I think most family liaison officers that, that we've both worked with would say similar. Um, it, it's, it's the fact that certainly within um, serious investigation, like a, a murder investigation, where you have got so much that you need to communicate to a family, uh, but also ask the family to, to tell you about, um, to, to help inform that investigation. That, that actually you do that with sort of the, a degree of sensitivity that, that doesn't cause any more harm or grief to that family. That's the kind of the goal that you go in as a family liaison officer. You, you can't ever make anything any better, but you just desperately don't want to make it any worse. Um, and, uh, you know, the training that goes into that and then, the, you know, having those particular roles and the relationships that you develop professional with a family, um, I, I think is the most rewarding part of that. And then, you know deep down as a, as a detective you know if you can bring someone to justice for what's happened um if it's that sort of investigation then you know that is a satisfying moment with a family I mean it's never enough it never brings anyone back but you know it, it is something that the families do um sort of appreciate and and having being by their side and, and allowing them to understand what's going through that criminal justice that court process is is really really rewarding. Mm. I imagine as well for families it's a whole obviously whilst trying to come to terms with whatever has happened they're also plunged into a world of different language and you know court processes and you know all that all that kind of new information that when you're in a place of feeling probably traumatized and as you described those tragic circumstances it's hard to take that stuff on board isn't it it's hard to retain information never mind understand the process and also the weights that you might have to have and you know everything else that goes with it yeah it's a really complex process I mean even for experienced police officers I'd suggest the criminal justice process is complex and difficult to follow so add on to that someone who is going through grief and trauma um, you know you know it's a it's amazing what the families actually can take on and go through but yeah, it is complex and, and hard. Mm. Do, you, do you think, Lou, when you, when you both just described there about that relationship you form with the family, it feels like it's got to be quite, you've got to be very conscious, haven't you, about how you engage people and the rapport that you build and the support that you put in place as well. Is, how, does that, how does that feel when you've seen a family all the way through a process and you are probably integral to them having gone through the, the whole thing from beginning to end? How does it feel for you when you've kind of got, it's kind of done you know whatever the outcome has been of that investigation I think there's there's two things to that I think one you've got to be very careful with the extent to which you do that because um, at the point where you finish your role you'll be leaving that family and what you can't be is um, the person that answers everything and deals with everything for them because at the point where you leave um, they need to be able to do that themselves so I think managing expectations both ways um, is really important from the beginning but I think um, it can be very empowering I think if, if you do the role well and you explain it properly you manage those expectations in the way that I just said 
um, and you introduce your role and the parameters of it and what you can't do as well as what you can do mm. then actually what you're doing is giving giving choices where there's choices to be made you're giving some control back to families when their control has been taken away by what's happened um, and really importantly as I said before you know you're contributing to the investigation subject to what type of investigation it is but very importantly you're explaining something to allow that family to fully understand um, what's happening why it's happening um, and to answer their questions in general really so as I say very empowering if it's done well but with a word of caution that those expectations have to be handled very carefully. Yeah it sounds very similar to the kind of boundaries I would think about in the work that I do you know what so that people do understand what 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 the expectations are but also what as you said what isn't on offer isn't something that you can do or it can't be involved in it's got to be really clear I think hasn't it because when you when you're in a desperate place you want as much help as you possibly can from anybody I think um and you want answers so I guess it's it's having to be very clear about that yeah and and, and for example a really simple example about how contactable you are you know when you've when you formed a professional relationship with a family you want to do everything you can for them but that has to be managed very carefully you can't be there 24 hours a day you can't be the, the person that answers every single question outside of the investigation itself. And you can't be rung at nine o'clock at night, three o'clock in the morning. And they're the sorts of times that families may think of questions or they may be distressed or they may have something going on in their lives that they need to talk to you about. So um, it's really sensitively managing that in a way that keeps your boundaries yourself so that your resilience isn't tested more than it needs to be. Um, and also the family have the support mechanisms in place that actually will be um, there long after you've left. So keeping those sorts of boundaries in place, extremely important. Mm. Kate, when, we, when we're talking about, you know, contributing to the investigation and also, you know, supporting and managing a family as well, how, how do the family understand that that's part of the remit around the investigation as well? Because I imagine that that, can, that might throw up difficulties during the course of investigations. Yeah, no, that's that's something that we're really, really clear on our role. So essentially, we are investigators within um, within the family liaison role. So we're always really open and honest with families about exactly what our role is. Um, family liaison officers would expect to be that two way communication between the senior investigating officer and that family. Um, so that. That would be taking on responsibility for passing on updates on the investigation, for example, to them. But quite often, in if it's been a close-knit sort of investigation, a, a murder within a, a quite a tight community, the family will get given information, for example, about the murder. There'll be rumours that are being passed around. And, and actually, you know, on my most recent investigation, I can count a number of times where the family liaison officer is getting that information from the family and that gets fed back into the investigation. So the family know that, you know, and actually you never know where that sort of um, piece of information might lead you as an investigator in terms of, you know, looking for those suspects or looking for something that could help with the case. Mm. So, yeah, we're really clear on it, but it's a definite two way, um, two way street. Mm, absolutely. So, in terms of your experiences of having been in this role for a long time, I don't, I don't even count up the years between you as to how many years you've been doing this role. <laughs> um, but um, what kinds of, um, you know, challenges have you come across? I, I guess 
you know, you, you're supporting people when they're at the most vulnerable and at the most needy. Um, and there must be an impact that that has on you professionally, but also personally, potentially. Lou, I don't know if you want to pick that up first. So uh, if I take one of these sort of early challenges that, that I faced that I think um, still exists, but maybe not quite in such an extreme way, is the challenges um, that come to mind first to me are not particularly from the family, it's from colleagues. Mm. So, um, and what I mean by that is a lack of understanding of the role by those that don't do it. Um, I think go back a, a, a lot of years, and I do mean a lot of years, it was seen very much as a sort of tea and sympathy type mm. role and a, a very pastoral role. And, um, and it took a very, very long time to um, convince many people within the organisation that actually it was an investigative role and a very important one. And I think for me, some of my early frustrations were around people understanding that. I think with, within those that do it, it was very much understood because you know it was a shared experiences that we all had and that we learned from etc um but yeah i think outside of the role there's still some misunderstanding or innocent ignorance of, of what it involves mm. and i think that for me is probably one of the 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 sort of hardest pressures in the early days now, now that's not to say that there's not many other pressures with the actual doing of the job you know and it's it's very emotional it's it's very um, it's very time consuming, it's very, um, uh, it, it, it challenges your resilience to the core, it absolutely mm. does. And, you know, I heard someone once say that every time you, you do an FLA role, you leave a piece of yourself with that family. Um, and I think that's, that's a really quite graphic analogy, but I think a very fair one. Mm. Um, but yeah, for, for me, the frustration from within the organisation in the early days. I'm glad to say that's changed a lot in recent years. You're listening to the Keeping the Peace podcast, produced in collaboration between Oscar Kilo, the National Police Wellbeing Service, and Fortis Therapy and Training. I was just thinking when you were saying that, that even in the, you know, media and, you know, uh, just TV shows, I remember when I was, when I was a kid, that that role was kind of like, you know, somebody's, usually a woman fully in her uniform stood to the side yeah, yeah. Um, with a hat on yeah yes with a hat on I can, yeah. can visualize it had a cup of tea yeah and and quite kind of I don't know there but not really contributing in any way and I guess that, that those it's stigma I guess isn't it Kate how, have you kind of found the same frustrations in terms of colleagues as Lou was describing yeah I mean it's been talked about previously certainly earlier on there was a real misunderstanding of the role, um, especially when you're not working in that sort of environment. I, I'm really pleased to say that that having worked both in uh, um, uh, in murder investigations and sort of around mass disaster when there's lots of victims, everyone understands the role. They understand what the role entails, how hard it can be, mm. um, and um, you know it, it's a a really recognised core role now within murder investigations. So. It, it's definitely moved on, but Lou is quite right in terms of those that just don't understand that role. I mean, I, I would say sort of the, the challenges really that I've been through personally, but also seen other colleagues is when actually relationships with families are difficult um, uh, because, you know, for a number of reasons, whether it be that actually people just don't click as, as people, um, you know, we're always professional, but there is elements of sometimes when 
know people just don't particularly get on and I've had that in a role um, that, that I undertook as a family liaison officer um, or actually those that are really traumatized and really going through the grief process where actually there's nothing you can do to ease that or communicate um, effectively um, because you can't bring back the person they've lost so actually you know there there is nowhere to go in terms of that relationship and you feel like you failed really if, mm. if you sort of reach that point um, uh, and it doesn't happen often but you know those are the bits that are really challenging um, you know where there are some just really difficult um, conversations and difficult communications you know, both ways between the police and families. Mm. feels quite when you describe that it just feels quite powerless it's just if you know if you know obviously as you've said the ult- ultimately you can't change what's happened but yeah. the the role is to support the people through the process isn't it and to investigate but I guess when you you know there is that sense of powerlessness to some extent that you can't change it and I think that's you know you're sitting with other people in their helplessness as well I guess I was gonna say Kate mentioned earlier that about the open and honesty and um that's really, really important. And sometimes being that open and honest with families doesn't go down well because you have to be very honest about what can and can't happen. And sometimes a family will ask something of you that you actually cannot achieve for them. And we will be open about that. We will explain why we can't do it. But often that can sometimes be um, a breakdown of communication or a breakdown of a relationship can happen at that point. Um, but again, that's about managing expectations from the beginning. And as Kate said, it's quite a rare occurrence in my experience. Um, but but we, that openness and honesty has to remain because it, it would be seen as being a very different role if, if that wasn't there. Mm. Absolutely. It could actually get in the way, couldn't it, actually, the investigation and everything, the whole purpose of being there, really. In terms of your experiences over the years, have you, do you feel that there's been, you know, this we've been thinking about the second series thinking about that kind of vicarious trauma you know being the impact of, of supporting people through their own traumas and the impact on on you as individuals do you think that there's um that has impacted on either of you and and if so in what way i don't know if it's should i go to kate first um on a personal level i'm really comfortable to say it hasn't um it but i've seen other colleagues who've who've struggled um, just with the impact of the grief that they've perhaps taken on board from from, um, an investigation or being with that family. I've seen colleagues um, struggle with that. Um, So on a personal note, I've I've been okay and I've been lucky enough to have good family and friends and support and and outside activities outside of work that I think have kept me um, on track and been able to, to deal with that. But I'm also fully aware of the impact it really can have. Um, And actually, then the responsibility that I would have and and Lou, when we're in the coordinating role, the management role, to be looking after staff and making sure people are uh, looked after and checked on, it becomes even more crucial in this particular role. Mm, Absolutely. How about from your perspective, Lou? So I think um, a bit like Kate just finished by saying there, during the coordination and the management role of it, I think part of our responsibility is to look out for the well-being of the teams and you're very attuned to what you're looking for. Um, but from a personal point of view, um, I, I believe within, within this work that everyone has something that could trigger them. Whether, whether they ever experience that trigger mm. is another matter. 
what to do about it when you experience that trigger is another matter again. For me personally, I got very close to it affecting me um, and one of my triggers were, was involving children. And I think that's a very um, common situation in the, in the colleagues that I've worked with. Um, and on one particular occasion of a, a scene that I attended, it was, there was too many personal links to my private life that meant that it got very close to it affecting me quite badly because I wasn't looking at what I was looking at. I was looking at my situation in place of what I was seeing. But I recognised it very quickly and therefore you can start building in your coping mechanisms of what to do about it. Mm. Um, so from, for me, that's been the sort of the personal side where it's got very close to affecting me. And I think the other side, and Kate again has touched on this, that with the, the mass fatality situations, although I wouldn't say it's, it's affected me negatively as such, I think there's a very different feel to those investigations or, or those inquiries because the volume is there that it, it impacts on you more because of the volume. So the complexity might be there as well, or it might not be, but the volume makes it feel very different. Mm. Um, and I know, you know, Kate and I have been involved in a number of, of situations where um, that sort of almost tangible grief is there when you've collectively got a number of people that are affected by the same incident. Mm. Yeah, I can only imagine that and, and the impact that that has on the people working on that investigation as well. And when you're thinking about your how you have coped, you, you, you just touched there, Kate, on having things outside of work and a good support network, which are crucial, aren't they? When you've managed people in this role and they haven't got those things in place, what impact can that have? I can see, I've seen people previously get really drawn into the, into the family liaison role. I mean, we all get drawn into an investigation when it's, when it's um, just starting, it's so intense. The first couple of weeks, if not months, are just really full on. And the family liaison officer, it's those boundaries that you see that Lou mentioned earlier, the, the you know, trying to set the boundaries of actually my phone's going to be off at eight o'clock tonight. Um, actually, you can sometimes spot that people haven't done that, that they will take phone calls on their days off when they really should be setting the boundaries of things like that. And it's a real difficult balance when you see an investigation first start when it's highly intense and people are working lots and lots of hours um, and you see perhaps too many meetings when actually you're kind of like up you know that you know you would be checking in terms of making sure that actually they're offering the communication between the senior investigating officer and the family and they aren't picking up essentially too much of a counselling role we mm. are not trained counsellors we never have been we are not their person to be there to support them because actually we don't know what we're doing in terms of, you know, properly trained counsellors. Um, so I, you, I previously I've seen people and it's my job now to make sure that doesn't happen. But people feel as if they are being the rock for that family. And with that, that crosses, starts to cross those professional lines of, of just offering yourself too much towards that family because you want to help because you want to do a really good job. I was going to say, it's um, coming from, a, it's coming from a, a, a kind of good place in that you want to meet the needs, but it's not actually what you're there to do in terms of the role. No, it, it, it's not. But, but um, it, previously, and actually the third sector, our charity support, victim support, are so much better now at offering all of those needs that are required in terms of 
um, you know, taking people through emotional and practical needs. Uh, whereas actually previously the family liaison officer would kind of be the only person there picking those things up. Mm. Um, so, you know, I've seen it before where people have had to take time off of the flow role because they needed a break, um, which is, is something that they can do. Um, you know, it's a voluntary role despite it being trained. So people can take time off if they need to. Um, you know, and actually, if they're going through a particularly personal time as well, it might be a breakup or it might be the loss of someone themselves on a personal level. Um, then actually, that's the time where you need to balance whether or not they should be performing the role or actually whether or not they do need to do the role, because that might help as well. So it, it's a real fine balance of making sure people are still emotionally and professionally doing the role. And, and doing that good job mm. where do you have kind of mechanisms in place um low in terms of you know kind of space to think about that those things and reflection or is that does that come from experience you know actually knowing what knowing what signs to look out for in terms of managing people who are doing this role and being able to you know kind of pick up on some of the signs or is it something that actually has mechanisms um within it that mean that people can kind of come forward and say actually I'm struggling or can reflect on their motives or what's going on how does it work from that point of view I think now it's an awful lot better than it used to be I don't think it used to be that great but but now well-being resilience support is so much better across police forces in general so um Kate mentioned earlier about um you know these people are, that do this role are volunteers and I think a lot of people don't realise that A, they're volunteers and B, they've got a day job. And mm. sometimes the pressures come from managing the day job and this job as well. So um, the, the, the reason I mention that is the um, line management of people that do this role. Sometimes their day job might notice something or sometimes the management within the family liaison world might notice something. So all police forces have um, procedures in place for occupational health, for employee assistance programmes. Um, and a lot of forces also recognise the role of a family liaison officer as an additional, um, what's referred to as a vulnerable role. So it has a more inbuilt system to monitor and to provide um, space and opportunity to talk about it. Um, and, you know, if someone needs to have, have some support, they will know within their own force area what those options are. I think for me, in my experience, a lot of that support comes best from peer support. Mm. And from all, you know, the, those colleagues around you that understand the role because they also do the role. And, and certainly for me, you know, the best support I've had are from other flows who, who in, my, in my words, get it. They, they understand, you know, you don't have to give the detail. You don't, you know, obviously we're not allowed to talk about the detail. But if you say I've had a tough day today, I'm on an FLO job, blah, blah, blah. They don't need to, you don't need to say much more because they'll understand the pressures you're under. So there's the informal support and the coping mechanisms people have as individuals within their friends, family, you know, um, peers, colleagues, etc. But there's also the formal support route within each force area. Um, and I certainly think that's developed in the last probably five years. That's developed into a much, much better service now than it, than it was before. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like it's really important to recognise the impact and actually the more structures you've got in and around people you know and also like you were saying Kate if you've got other services you come in and offer other aspects of the support roles if you like from whether it's about helping people through the grief process or whatever it's almost a bit more like a multi 
professional approach mm. really rather than it being down to one person to be able to kind of manage all of that themselves would you yeah it's, de- it's definitely that's 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 the picture now really we are so much better at working with um, the third sector charity agencies and, and victim support and the NHS that that it really does allow the, the, the police, the family liaison officer to signpost and work with those other professionals to make sure people have hopefully taking up the, the help they need with the grief and trauma and practical sides mm-hmm. that then really makes those boundaries of what the family liaison officer is doing as a police officer really, really clear. Mm, absolutely. So if someone's listening to this and they were thinking about going into this role and um, we were, you know, we're thinking about this from a well-being perspective and a mental health perspective, what do you think they need to be kind of conscious of if they're coming in to take on a, an FLRO, if, if they're going to look to volunteer to do the role? Kate, I'm coming to you first. There's a wry smile. Oh, yeah. I just, do you know what? I remembered I was, so there's a couple of things. You, you need to be in, in the police, certainly side of things, um, unless you're in roads, policing so um uh, you can be a, a police constable to be a family liaison officer in roads policing mm-hmm. um but actually within other investigations that would you'd need to be a detective um because of the investigator role so that's that's a, a, a national piece um but um i remember when i first went to a introduction to the flow role and i was quite a young pc um, I think it was just at a time before when you could still be a PC, a police constable before uh, becoming a detective. And I remember listening to the role of the flow and I had no idea. And I remember just thinking, I can't do that. I, there's no way. Um, because it was being so close to a family going through so much grief and trauma. And I just thought, I'm just going to cry all the time if I do that. I can be remote and, you know, you know, deal with it, everything else. I can't be with that family. So it took a number of years for me to kind of do other roles and just, you know, realise that actually I was in a place where I could then do a professional role. So I think you need to be aware of what the role entails um, and any of your family liaison coordinators um, or if the force has a family liaison advisor will be able to give you a real honest opinion but speak to family liaison officers about the role mm. because it isn't for everyone um it is um it is something that you really need to think carefully about about whether or not you can be so close to a grieving family um, or grieving friends at a time when you have got that job to do mm. um but yeah so yeah i just remember it just take me a, a long time to get around to thinking i'm i'm experienced enough shall i say to mm. pick up that role I was just going to say timing sounds actually quite important that you might have you might be interested in it but whether you're in the right place to do it is can be two different things can't it and there's um you know and I think and Lou will, will correct me if I'm wrong here but certainly um it, within the London place within the Met place uh there's a psychological screening test that gets done before you you pick up um, or, or even get put through to the training you also have to be um sort of spoken to by the family liaison coordinator once you've put your hand in the air to volunteer and actually they are got a responsibility to think about whether the people volunteering are you know the right sorts of people to Mm. to pick up these sorts of roles so there's a a couple of safety nets at at the start um, and then you know after every deployment there should be a debrief with that family liaison coordinator to kind of talk through you know what's what's gone well and what what hasn't where that ongoing management responsibility comes in with mm. with sort of making sure people are, are, are robust is the wrong word 
probably. It's not about being robust. It's about managing professionally, you know, your commitment to that particular role and how it, it might affect you and being honest about whether it mm. is. Yeah, I imagine that's actually it's the honesty part. I was when you were saying robust, I was thinking resilience and whether it's about resilience or something else. I don't know. Lou, what's your thoughts about that? I, I think it's a case of, you know, is it right for you at that particular time in your life, in your professional career and your personal life? Is it right for you? And, and you know, there's, there's all the bit about doing your homework to understand what the role is, going through whatever application process your force has. Um, but I think for me, you know, thinking back, the family liaison officer courses that I used to run, the family liaison coordinator courses I used to run, it, almost without exception, on about midway through day two of the family liaison course, we used to call it a light bulb moment because you could see people had come in on the Monday morning thinking, oh yeah, this will be all right, you know, a bit of an extra job here. Maybe done a bit of homework, but by mid-morning on day two, in some cases, it was rabbit in the headlights because it was like, I had no idea how complicated this is. And, I, and, and so as far as, you're, you know, whether it's right for you in your professional and, and personal world, it's having the honesty and the, the confidence to say, even if you've done your training course and gone through all the steps, to actually turn around and say, do you know what, now I know a bit more about it, maybe it's not right for me just now. Mm. And, I, and I think that honesty continues when you're doing the job as well, because whether you need a break or whether you need to come off completely, everyone's got limits you know your stress bucket can only get so full before it overflows and and there's a you'll get close to that on occasion as I would suggest. and it's being able to step forward and say for whatever reason I actually need some support or for whatever reason I actually need to have a break away from it now because I can't do a good service to the families and I can't look after myself if I continue the way things are mm. so um yeah there's, there's lots of mechanisms in place to support people but ultimately, you know how you feel with whether you're in the right place to do it or not at that, that particular time. Mm. Yeah, and I think that that it's almost like being able to track yourself, isn't it? And, and know what, like you said about triggers earlier, know what your triggers are. Uh, you might not know what they are until you're in it. But if you then realise, it's then about saying it and, and stepping forward. And I think that's something that, um, you know, we've talked quite a bit about across these different podcasts around, you know, being being open to saying actually I'm, I'm finding this really difficult or that that's just really upset me or triggered me or whatever and it's hard to do that sometimes especially when when you really want to do a good job and you don't want to be seen to be letting the team down or you don't want to be seen to be letting the investigation down you know there's all these pressures isn't there within the role I think that means that you might carry on longer than you maybe should or would do um, because you feel that sense of responsibility. I, th I think one of the things that I would, um, I often talk about is it's almost like after each deployment or even after each meeting or event that you've, you've conducted as an FLO, you need to know what your reset button is mm. and, and your reset button has to allow you to process what you've just done and be ready for the next thing. And at the point comes where you're not able to effectively reset, something needs to change. Mm. And, and understanding what that change is will be different for different people mm. and, and hopefully recognize that before you get to the point where you actually fully need to reset because that's when we start to see people struggling and being unwell isn't it and that I think that emotional intelligence and you talked there about the stress bucket and all the stuff that kind of we're holding in that bucket but also what you might be doing to help lower those levels within the bucket as well you know all that external 
support or it might be activities, self-care, you know, all that stuff as well that has to be kind of central, doesn't it, to be able to support others, especially when there's a level of emotion going on around the, the actual job you're doing every time. It's not like that gets less. It's, you know, as you said, it might be a, a mass incident where there's lots and the volume is huge, but every time you go towards supporting a family, there's always that emotional fallout that you're going to have to deal with. Kate, do you think that um, in your experience that the circumstances around people asking for help and you know them that kind of willingness to come forward and say that has has is better now than it's been it is better i'd say it is better but i'd say it's probably not good enough mm. um, work to i do. think i think there is still a lot more work to do um you, you know i i think and you can only you can see it that the amount of work that we've got on across every police force at the moment is immense um so with that responsibility of putting your hand up in particular with the flow roll and saying you know actually i might need a break or i might need uh, to come away for a little while and do something else that puts pressure on your colleagues and your peers mm. because then they're picking up more work so people become you know don't want to let people down and actually you know there's a there's a balance so i i've seen some people not put their hand up and line management you know not spot it soon enough because people are very good at hiding things when they are you know until things properly fall down so I think again it comes from people wanting to do a really good job not wanting to you know appear weak in as they might see it but actually you know it I think there are mechanisms now it's not the same stigmas in terms of coming forward and sort of taking a break we've got to look after ourselves from a well-being point of view it should be at the forefront of everything we're doing you know we really should be looking after ourselves and our staff um, so that actually everyone can continually you know be effective in their roles mm. um, so I think there's still work to do but it definitely is much better it's on the right trajectory by the sounds of it <laughs> it's going in the right direction just <clears throat> we're just coming to the end of the podcast and I just wanted to say thank you really to both of you for coming to talk to me and um, I think everything you've kind of talked about will give people a real insight into the challenges of the role and the reality of the role as well. Um, and I know we haven't talked about, you know, specifics in terms of some of the things that you've supported and investigated. Um, but I think we've got a real flavour of the challenges of the role and the different boundaries you have to have in place and thinking about, you know, self-care and also recognising signs in others as well as struggle that that may sometimes we don't recognize in ourselves you know it's almost like as a manager you have to pick that up for people as well so mm. thanks ever so much for coming to talk to me um this podcast will be available on every platform uh, so please you know feel free to download and share and um listen to all the other podcasts as well that'd be brilliant thanks very much both of you and uh, we'll be back soon thanks everyone thank you for listening to the keeping the peace podcast it's available wherever you listen to your podcasts and if you subscribe, you'll be notified of the next episode as soon as it's available. We'd love to hear your feedback and ideas for future podcasts, so please do comment or get in touch on our social media platforms for either Fortis Therapy and Training or Oscar Kilo.